Matthew 5 through 7 record Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This sermon, among other things I read about it this week, one writer said it is the supreme discourse in all world literature. That is certainly to speak highly of this sermon. And this sermon has been praised even by people who did not follow Jesus. Now ultimately, this text is built on who Jesus is. And he makes a contrast at the end of the sermon between those who hear his words and act upon them and those who hear his words and do not act upon them. The sermon is based on who he is, but it is amazing that many have appreciated this sermon who have not followed him. Matthew presents Jesus as the ideal teacher. Five sermons covering nine chapters. One of the ways he presents Jesus. But this is the longest. And let's read the words of Matthew 5 and verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went down on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, or some of your translations have meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men, when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. At the end of Mark chapter 4, there were large crowds following Jesus from all kinds of areas. These large crowds that are following Jesus, I take it from verse 1, that Jesus saw the crowds, that they are still present. Those crowds will be mentioned at the end of this sermon, in chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. They marvel, and He speaks to them as one with authority. But the teaching that is done here seems particularly centered on disciples. Notice in verse 1, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to them. It's particularly directed to them. For those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, these words have special power. As we listen to what this king said, King Jesus said, we listen to him and seek 
to obey his words. The text tells us that he sat down to teach. He will often be noted as sitting to teach in the Gospel of Matthew. But he is sitting to teach and he opened his mouth. Now, how else can he speak without opening his mouth? Often, when you see that stated in the Bible, it indicates something profound is about to be uttered. Philip opened his mouth and taught the eunuch about Jesus in Acts 8, in verse 35. Peter opens his mouth and says, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, the one who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Acts 10, in verse 34 and 35. To open your mouth is to make a particularly profound statement. And what Jesus is saying is profound. And he pronounces, blessings, blessed are these. I think the translation, blessed, is better than happy. And yet there is no word in English that conveys all that is indicated here. Oh, the blessedness of, oh, the happiness of, congratulations to. This is often stated when we view someone as experiencing some blessed privileges and we say, oh, how blessed this person is to experience this. Who do we view as blessed? Who do we view as blessed indicates a lot about ourselves. And what Jesus says about who he views as blessed doesn't fit the picture of his generation. It doesn't picture the views of our generation. It is as one popular Christian author wrote many years ago on this, a Christian counterculture. It is a different way of looking at what really matters in life and what is really valuable. Who is blessed? Well, let's notice these qualities that he mentions. As we see things from God's point of view, and I want you to recognize, as I'm sure many do, that entire sermons could be done on each of these Beatitudes. There could be so much more that could be said about them. But hopefully, things that we do say are going to be helpful. And I'll tell you what I hope. I hope I'm talking about you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now each of these will begin with a description of the character or the response to the character the world will give. And then it will pronounce the blessedness, the consequence. But first, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke 6 20 just says, Blessed are the poor. But in Matthew's account, blessed are the poor in spirit. In the book of Psalms, 
There is a group of people, sometimes the word is translated afflicted, sometimes the word is translated uh, humble, sometimes the word is translated poor, but it is a group of people who find in God their only hope. They find their only hope in God. You see that, for example, in Psalm 34, in verse 18, as God is near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Near the brokenhearted saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Psalm 51, in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are broken and recognize God as their hope, God as their security, God as their salvation. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In Isaiah 57, in verse 15, God is described as the high and exalted one. And God says he will dwell in a high and holy place. And he will dwell with the one who is contrite and lowly of spirit. It's the opposite of being proud in spirit. It is the opposite of self-sufficiency, which even the church at Laodicea had when they said we are rich and in need of nothing. It is a brokenness that recognizes God as our hope. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that will be built for me? But this one, with this one I will dwell, the one who is humble and contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. It's Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That blessing will be pronounced again in verse 10. Now, one of the things I want you to notice, Lord willing, we'll come back to this. Do you notice verse 3 is a present blessing? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Of heaven. Same way in verse, verse 10. But verses 4 through 9 will all describe future blessings. Blessed are those who mourn, for the text says, they shall be comforted. Now, if we just stop with that first part, blessed are those who mourn. That doesn't make much sense. And not all mourning is blessed. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 talks about a godly, it talks about um, those who's, who the sorrow of this world, who have the sorrow of this world, the sorrow of this world works death. It contrasts it with a godly sorrow. But 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 shows that not all sorrow is blessed. But what does it mean therefore? Blessed are those who mourn. Well, verse 3 talked about us recognizing our brokenness. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So verse 4 would be those who grieve over that. I give as a passage on the board, Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. And you remember that sinful woman who comes in where Jesus is teaching. And as she comes in, she is weeping over her sin. And she is weeping enough that she can wash the feet of Christ with her tears and dry them with her hair. She is truly grieving over her wrong. Blessed are those that mourn. For those who are touched by the wrongs that they've done. And their heart is broken for how they violated the will of God. You are blessed, the text says. Blessed are those who mourn. And we should feel it with ourselves. We should feel it when we look out at a corrupt world. In 2 Corinthians chapter of Second Kings chapter 22 verses 11 through 19. The context is the book of the law has been found in the days of Josiah. And when the book of the law is read to Josiah, he weeps and he tears his clothes. Understanding that he has sinned. Understanding that his people have sinned. And Psalm 119 verse 136 says, My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. Blessed are those who mourn and grieve over their own sin. And over the brokenness of our sinful world. The Bible tells us. That those who grieve and mourn over such. The blessedness is not in the mourning per se. But in the fact that they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. Psalm 30 in verse 5. Weeping may last for a night, but a shout of joy will come in the morning. For those who grieve sin in their own lives, in the sins of our world, for those who grieve sin, there is coming a day in which they will be comforted. Again, this is future. The subject that is bringing the comfort is not described, but obviously it is implied that it is God. God will comfort them. And the Bible says in Revelation 21 verse 4 that He will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be a day when those who grieve over their sins and the great sins of our world will be comforted as their sins will be so past that they be totally forgotten and to be washed away. And we will live in a world in which there is righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle. Or who are meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Now both parts of that statement come from Psalm 37 verse 11. Psalm 
37.11 Blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the land. It's worded in most of your Old Testament translations. But in this passage, what does it mean to be meek? It's the word that's used of Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 29. I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Is a word used to describe Jesus as he comes driving, driving, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey in Matthew 21 in verse 5. Blessed are you who are listening closely enough to catch that mistake on the preacher. But it describes Jesus in Matthew 21 verse 5. It is a word that's used in the Septuagint of the Greek to describe Moses in Numbers chapter 12. In verses in verse 3, he was the meekest, he was the most humble, some of your translations have, of the men on the earth. In context, you remember that Miriam and Aaron in Numbers 12 have made an accusation against Moses. And Moses doesn't, in that case... Respond, God responds. It says that Moses was the most meek in the earth. To be gentle, to be meek, means not to assert our own power or our own authority, but to humbly, graciously, Depend upon Him. It is not to throw our weight around. It is to humble ourselves before Him. The context of Psalm 37 is interesting in this respect. Because as wicked people were prospering, Psalm 37 tells them, do not fret at the prosperity of the wicked. Don't don't be nervous when you see them getting ahead. Instead, because ultimately the wicked will be uprooted from the land. That's a phrase that Psalm 37 uses five times. And it also speaks of inheriting the land or inheriting the earth five times in Psalm 37. But ultimately the way to prevail is not by self-assertion and demanding and promoting yourself, those people may seek to inherit all things, but it's ultimately going to be by surrendering yourself, by being humble. More could be said about that, but Numbers 12 and Psalm 37 help provide a background, and Lord willing, in a few weeks... We'll get to deal with Psalm 37 and maybe I can deal with that more extensively. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Hunger and thirst are two of the strongest desires that we have. Hunger and thirst to 
if you get really hungry and really thirsty, it's difficult to think of anything else. And what do we hunger for? What do we thirst for? In Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, my, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? I hope that your presence here today is indicative of the fact that you are hungering and thirsting after God. That you're longing for Him. That you hunger and thirst for God. That same language is used in Psalm 63 in verse 1. It's used in other places in the Old Testament. Here the text says to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And righteousness can be defined different ways. Sometimes in the Old Testament it simply means salvation. Righteousness can refer to being right with God. Righteousness can refer to personally living a godly life. And I think probably all of those things are encompassed in that. People who are longing to make their ways conform to God's ways. Who are broken in spirit at their wrong. Who mourn and grieve their wrongs. Who are seeking to be humble and gentle before God. And people who are longing to be right with Him and to walk in ways of righteousness. And if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, the Bible says they shall be filled or they shall be satisfied. Do you know this is the same word that's used in Mark 14 verse 20 when Jesus is taking five loaves and two fish and he's fed 5,000 and they have all eaten and they are satisfied. They are literally filled with food. But I want to tell you God can satisfy our deepest longings. He can meet the deepest needs of the human heart. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will not thirst. In John 6 and verse 35. And only he can do that. Money's not going to do that for you. It's not going to meet the deepest needs of your heart. Your desire for fame and popularity aren't going to do that. They're not going to meet the deepest needs of your heart. And sin itself, by giving yourself over to the pursuit of pleasure, whether it be right or wrong, it is going to leave you broken and dissatisfied. But if you hunger and thirst after God and His righteousness, You'll be filled. You will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus twice said in Matthew, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Matthew 9. Verse 13, Matthew 12, verse 7. He elevates mercy to being a portion of the weightier matters of the law. In Matthew 23, verse 23. 
And sometimes we see in the book of the book of Matthew, we see mercy demonstrated. And sometimes we see it with hell. For example, there's a man in Matthew 18 that we will meet that owes his owes the king ten thousand talents, and the king is gracious, and the king forgave him. And yet he goes out and finds a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii, and he begins to choke him and says, "Pay back what you owe." And when he's confronted by God, he says, "Should not you have had mercy on your fellow slave?" Even as I have mercy on you. If you believe in mercy, shouldn't you show mercy? If you accept God's grace, shouldn't you show it to others? Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Now, by the way, how's this, how's this the attitude? How's this the attitude going to affect? How you talk about your fellow worshipers on the way home? For they shall receive mercy. James 2.13 says, To the one who does not show mercy, he will be given judgment without mercy. Oh, when judgment day comes, I want to receive mercy. We all do. Do we show it? Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Psalm 24 has. He that has clean hands and a pure heart. David, after his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, prayed in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart. This is going to be the result of God's work in our lives. But blessed are those who are pure in heart. The heart is the seat of of who we are and what we do. Uh, Our words proceed out of our heart, Matthew 12 and verse um, 34. Our decisions flow out of our heart, Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20. Forgiveness comes from our heart, Matthew 18. And verse 35, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's come back to that concept a second. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Psalm 133 in verse 1 says, how good and pleasant it is. That's the opposite of Proverbs 6, where one of the things the Lord hates is the one who sows discord among brethren. There are some people that when they enter the room, it seems like the the tensions rise and everyone is set against each other. And there are some people when they enter the room that they subside. Blessed are the peacemakers. A word, by the way, used only here in the New Testament. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of of God. The Bible says in Romans 14, when discussing the controversial issue of what one ate, and that was a controversial issue in Rome, as you had Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians and Gentile Jewish Christians who, who all their life had been led to avoid certain foods and Gentile Christians who saw no problem with it. The Bible says, pursue things that make for peace. That doesn't mean a peace at any cost. In that sense, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, in verse 34, I've not come to bring peace on earth but a sword. Following Jesus will sometimes separate us from those nearest and dearest to us. It is not talking about a peace that denies Him and absolutely what's right, but it does talk about a peace that is willing to surrender and sacrifice our right. As to what we eat. So that we can have peace. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. It's sometimes in looking at a statement like this. It's, it's good to compare it to other things. Particularly if they're said right here in this sermon. Look at Matthew 5, 45. And notice what said. Look at starting verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You are sons of God. If you love your enemies, because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. We are sons of God if we're peacemakers. We're sons of God if we love our enemies. We're sons of God if we're peacemakers. Maybe we might make peace. Is to do good. And to pray for even those who don't like us. The world should love a person who is this way. It should love a person who is this way. But often a person who follows Jesus, our ruler and king, Often a person who follows him is going to be a threat to people who do not. And blessed are you who are persecuted 
for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In 1 Peter 3 verse 14, if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Notice in verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And notice in this text that, that this verbal, this persecution, a lot of this persecution is verbal. They insult you and they say all kinds of evil against you. Is there persecution in our country? Of course there is. There has always been. And the most t- typical type is verbal. People are insulted. People are mocked. For their loyalty to Jesus. Happens in your work. Happens in your school. It happens in society. But if you are in that position. Blessed are you. If you suffer. Notice in verse 10. It was because of righteousness. But in verse 11. It is because of me. 1 Peter 3, 14 specifically mentioned someone who was persecuted for righteousness' sake. And 1 Peter 4, verses 15 and 16 said, If any of you let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, or a busybody in other man's matters, but if any of you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but rather let him glorify God in that name. We're persecuted because of him. And if we are persecuted because of Him, we can rejoice because we are in good company. So persecuted they the prophets who were before you. And these verses tell a little of their story. But great is your reward in heaven. We don't rejoice just in troubles. We don't rejoice just in persecution. Just in people speaking evil of us. But we can be blessed if it's truly for the sake of righteousness. And truly for the sake of loyalty to Him. We can be blessed. Because the the reward that awaits. And the word reward is used. The word, the reward that awaits is greater than anything we can imagine. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us in Romans 8 in verse 18. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. As we close, let's go back to this thought of blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Because only to use that blessing we will see God as a way 
to make our last point. I, I, we've already stated that some of these blessings are present tense. Verse 3, verse 10. Some of them are future. Verses 4 through 9 are all future. Verse 12 is still future. You see that just by the tenses in the original language. Are there blessings right here and right now to be a Christian? Yeah, sure there are. If we follow Jesus, it keeps us out of getting in trouble as a murderer, as a thief, or a busybody in other man's matters. Like we just talked about in 1 Peter 4.15. There are blessings to being a Christian right here and right now. But also there are situations in which being a Christian may get you in trouble where a non-believer will not be. If any man suffer as a Christian. There are blessings right now from following Jesus. But it does not compare to the blessings that are to come. We see God in a certain sense. As Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty seven endured as seeing him who is invisible. A passage I do not have on the screen is third John verse eleven. Third John verse eleven uses the term seeing God to speak of fellowship with God. As we have fellowship with God, as we walk with God, as we are in a right relationship with God, there is a sense in which we see Him. But we do not see Him like we will see Him. There's a blessing to being a Christian right now and being in fellowship with Him. But when He appears, we shall be like Him and we shall see Him as He is. 1 John 3 in verse 2 tells us of Christians, it does not yet appear what we shall be. It's beyond our greatest expectations. This pronouncement of blessings in the Beatitudes is a, a future oriented. We trust Jesus. We're committing our all to Him. And that we realize the best is yet to come. I hope I've been talking about you. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, how merciful, how gracious, how holy, how awe-inspiring you are. Give us the strength and courage to identify with you, with your cause, with your righteousness. We do pray, O oh Lord, for those who are broken and grieved because of their sin, that they might find comfort in your forgiveness. We pray, Lord... That those who hunger and thirst for you might be filled with your presence. And we pray that we might be pure in heart.
so that we might see you. Help us to live what you call us to live in these texts. You are our only hope. You are our God and our Savior and our King. To you we bow and beg your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be free from your burden of sin? Are you poor in spirit? Do you mourn and grieve over your wrong? There can be comfort in being forgiven of your sin. All the comfort you will receive today will not compare to the comfort that you will receive on that day. But we can experience to some degree these blessings now awaiting the future sins in which they will be beyond our ability to grasp. If you need to repent of your sins and be baptized in Christ, we want to help you as we stand and see.